Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! to another edition of the internet's most dangerous Tottenham Hotspur podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. I'm your host, Greg, and we have a lot to talk about tonight. Before we get to that, don't forget to follow our Twitter feed at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. And make sure you leave us some five-star reviews on iTunes or uh, Spotify. You know, it's very cold here in America right now, you know, and I, I think we need the warmth of all five stars to, to get us through this winter. And if you give us less than that, I think you're being very mean. Because we've been very good boys and we deserve it. Now, it's time to talk about Tottenham. Uh, because, you know, we had this amazing last-minute comeback against Leicester. And I know it's really weird how we haven't played another fixture since then. But I think it's really worth talking about Steven Bergvine and the heroics of Tottenham Hotspur. Ben, what was your favorite moment in the last Tottenham Hotspur match? Oh, man. I think it would have to be the part where Steven Bergvine shoved over uh, Soyuncu. <laughs> en route to scoring two late goals. Well, thank God that was the thing that we saw in the last match at Tottenham Hotspur. The last played. thing I've seen. <laughs> Brian Ashlock, what was your favorite uh, thing that happened in the last match that Tottenham Hotspur played? Uh, Harry Kane scoring, for sure. Um, <laughs> you know, he's been on such a weird run, uh, not been able to really find the back of the net, and then for him to get a goal uh, in, in the game against Leicester was, you know, so key. You know, and, and it, the only thing that could have made it better was if he outsmarted an aging, uh, dirty player. Like, I don't know, look, just to pick one out of the air, Thiago Silva. Uh, you know, that, that would have made it even better, right? Yeah, I mean, it would have been super cool if it had been, uh, you know, uh, the defender that was guilty of simulation in this case. Um, but but Harry Kane didn't need anything like that against an um, uh, obviously inferior Leicester team. Uh, he was just able to score on his own without that. Yes, unfortunately, there is another game to talk about, which would be our 2-0 loss to Chelsea. Bit. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> terrible, bit. <laughs> our 2-0 loss to Chelsea. We practiced that, too. Yeah, right? we really did. Sure. Yeah, we spent... Like everything else on this, <laughs> like everything else on this podcast, lots of effort went into it. Um, Greg yeah. was sitting there in final draft, typing up all of our lines, <laughs> smoking a cigar, just so proud of himself. <laughs> it's gonna come out. The, the final cut's gonna come out on Netflix in like forty years, I think. Well, maybe not now that Peter Bogdanovich is dead, but you know, like maybe, maybe his son will take care of it for us. Anyway, yeah, we have a pretty shitty match against Chelsea to talk about because they're all pretty shitty matches against Chelsea. Uh, we lost to them 2-0. I, I think this was a I, this was an improvement, I think, on the more recent matches against Chelsea in that I think we can at least feel a little hard done by. But Chelsea was once again the far superior team. I mean, just to jump in on the thing, what I jump in on what I think is the inflection point in the match. Brian, do you think Spurs fans are justified for thinking that game might have turned a little bit on Harry Kane's disallowed goal. Yeah, I mean, it was we would have gone ahead on what, like the thirty something minute. I think the fortieth. Um, yeah. It and you know potentially made it into halftime um, instead of 
really desperately needing to make changes, um, only kind of needing to make changes uh, because you're, you know, at least winning. And I mean, I think talking ad, uh, about refereeing decisions uh, is boring and dumb, uh, but that one was really soft. I think. I, I, I mean, if if Tim Howard is like, I don't know, I I think that was a bad decision, then it was a really bad decision. Uh, I mean, I don't think Conte was wrong about this. Like in England, where I think there is a certain level of physicality expected in the play, like. You know, I think I think it's a little ridiculous that Tiago got away with that. And, you know, I don't want to pretend we wouldn't be kind of mad about it if that had, you know, happened the other way around. But, you know, I mean, part of what makes me so irritated about it is there's no doubt in my soul that if Lukaku had done that to Eric Dyer, there is no way in this world where that goal doesn't stand. <laughs> and it's... Well, I mean, even on just, Chelsea's second goal, like, Thiago Silva scored on a set piece and shoved Ben Davis in the process. Like, it's not as much of a flagrant, you know, flop, you know, like like the Silva dive. But, like, there's clearly, like, physical contact between the two of them. His hands are on him. And, like, it's just part of the game. Like, it's just, that's just what happens. And, what what I'll and, never understand, and I, again, there's, there's And no, certainly if it was... Well, I was just going to say, if that's the other way, if Harry Kane is going for that ball and Silva is behind him and has his hands on him and then wins the ball and Harry Kane falls like that, it's not a penalty. We're not getting a penalty for that. The referee waves Harry Kane to get up and allows play to go on. Like, I, I, you know. Kane gets a yellow for a simulation. Like, that's what happens. Probably, yeah, honestly. And, and I don't want to get too deep into the psychology of refereeing because, I mean, it's, it's just a pointless conversation. But what I'll never understand, and I think this is true in every sport, is a player like Silva, you know, his prestige gets deferred to because, you know, Thiago Silva is an excellent defender. And for whatever reason, referees defer to something like that. And I'm going to pick on Thiago right now because, you know, he is, you know, he's the center of this. But... You know, I mean, he does have this reputation for making a meal out of things and being a little bit dirty. And I'll never understand how a referee goes into a match. I mean, I'm probably speaking more to my own prejudices here. And I don't think it's just that I'm a Spurs fan. But, you know, like, if I was a referee and there was a player like Thiago in the match, like, I think I'd be going in there looking to give him a red card or, you know, or it's just, I'd just be waiting for it. Like, you know, in the way that Gareth Bale spent, like, half of his last season at Spurs if he got knocked over, he was getting a yellow card for simulation. Like, I don't understand how someone like Tiago, like the referee is going to give him the benefit of the doubt. That's that's what always confuses me about stuff like that. And I'm picking on Tiago here. I think there's a million other players you could say this about. I know the reason is they are known as a good defender. They are being deferred to because they, they play at a certain level and referees sort of just trust that. But it, it always just drives me a little insane that because, you know, like if Eric Dyer did the exact same thing, he would have gotten a car i mean it, it wouldn't be given if a, if a striker fell over like that in the box over contact you know if tiago had touched harry kane like that he would have gotten the yellow card for simulation but i mean look the rules are stupid refereeing is stupid var is stupid like i don't there's nothing really else to say about no it. you're it's absolutely like, right so you yeah. know like the technically harry kane did touch him and so technically yeah that's a foul but like it's, it's just ludicrous. Like, the contact obviously did not result in Thiago Silva sprawling across the pitch like that. It clearly did not matter 
in the events of like Harry Kane scoring a goal, but like, yeah, he touched him and under the microscope of VAR, like we're going to give it because shit's fucking stupid. And I don't, I don't know. It's like, the thing is, is like, we've already gotten our asses kicked by Chelsea twice this season. We got our asses kicked by Chelsea often enough that like, they don't need that. They don't need that handout. <laughs> you know, like give us a fucking break here. Like yeah. that's what's so annoying. Well the, well, the fact that they beat us, and again, again, I don't want to pretend that Chelsea weren't the vastly superior team in this match, but I think it's we were we were in this match more than we had been in the other matches this year, and they basically won because they got two handouts from the referee between this and the Thiago's goal later on, and that's not even counting the fact that Thiago maybe should have been sent off at a certain point. Um, but you count them and the fact that like Ziyech scores a wonder goal. It's just like, how much fucking luck do they need? You know what I mean? It's like, like you said, Ben, like they've got so many advantages over us already. Like they also need just like, you know, the referees to help them out and everything to go their way. It's just, you know, we just can't buy for all the problems we have as a team, for all the mistakes we made, we really just can't buy a break against Chelsea. Yeah. But like leaving the referee, aside which is hard to do because it does feel like such a screw job it's it's just frustrating to play this team who has not been very good lately and yet who seems to just have our number every time they play them like in the league in the last two months they've drawn to brighton they've drawn to liverpool they've drawn to brighton again they've drawn to wolves everton they lost to west ham like the only teams they've beaten in the last two months are villa and and leeds like we are better than those teams like we should be at least capable of like shit housing our way to a draw the way Everton who are terrible or Brighton who are fine, you know, are able to do. And the fact that like, we just can't pull that off is just supremely fucking annoying. And, you know, obviously we didn't have a first choice lineup. A lot of guys were, were hurt after Brian's muted. So we've already knocked that one out of the park. Um, but, um, it's, it, you know, obviously there's some caveats here. Like, Regulon wasn't able to start the match. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that was a tactical decision. Um, LaCelso is on the outs, um, which maybe is a plus. I don't know. But a lot of players were just not ready to play. The skip couldn't start. Uh, you know, there, there were a lot of players who just couldn't go. Um, and, and, you know, I don't know. Like, I'm sure if you look at those games you mentioned, Ben, those teams aren't all at full strength. But, it just, like I said, it just feels like we can't right. buy we can't buy a break yeah, so, against this team. Like, well, I think we'll talk about the lineup and like the weird selection decisions and the tactical nuances of the game. But like, these eleven guys are not worse than Everton or worse than absolutely. Like, you know, Bergvine has had a good game again. Kane is good. You know, like there's still plenty of good players out there to get a result, and just fucking annoying. Real quick on Bergvine, like one thing I noticed in this match: really good at taking down long balls. Good at getting up the pitch. Will do work in defense if necessary. Like, how did Mourinho, like, make this guy a box-to-box donkey when he's, like, playing long balls for a year and a half? There is no method to Jose's madness. <laughs> I mean, it was it was really interesting to see him play that striker role and uh, for, for Conte to leave both him and Kane... Uh, much more advanced uh, while everybody else sat deeper. And, you know, Bergwijn just, like you said, took down long balls really well, made little, like, scooped passes over the top to the wide midfielders or to Kane. 
um, really started most of our counterattacks. I thought he played really well. I mean, I think, you know, there were there were some opportunities where, you know, a better pass from him, uh, you know, leads to a shot or that he had shot opportunities. They just didn't quite get off. Um, but I, we were all kind of like that. Uh, you know, the, the whole team kind of had those moments where they're just like caught in two minds or stuck in between decisions and. I don't know. I thought I thought Bergvine played really well. I like him in the striker role, and I like his partnership with Kane. It's it's different than what he and Son do. I think that was probably the biggest positive of the match. Actually, is like I think between this and the last fifty minutes against Leicester, you could see some real possibilities with him and Kane playing up top together. Yeah, it's nice because you know Kane and Son have been so crucial to any success we've had over the last few years that. You know, finding anybody who can provide a reasonable facsimile of, of help up top is is nice. Um, you know, I mean, Lucas has done his best over the last couple of months and has been pretty good. But, you know, we are again without him this week. Um, and it, it's like that's not where we felt particularly shorthanded. It was kind of everywhere else on the pitch mm-hmm. that things didn't really go right. Um, you know, I don't think anybody was excited when we saw the lineup of three and a half center backs. Um Sessignon and Doherty and you know I don't think anybody was expecting a lot from this but I think with that said you know they managed to play a kind of disciplined organized first half that like pretty much shut down Chelsea and gave us you know the opportunity to go ahead and I mean that's kind of all you can ask and it's really the second half where it really all fell apart well to me what was really frustrating about the second half is he was about to make two changes right when Chelsea scored their second goal. And it was just like, you know, it went from like, okay, maybe we got to dig our way back in this match to like, okay, now we're really deep in this hole. And it's, you know, maybe you should have made them at halftime. I don't know. Like, you know, like we're, we're not always privy to the reason managers do what they do, but it just was like, it just felt like such a gut punch to me knowing we were about to make two changes. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of gut punches, Ziyech scoring a worldie like a minute and a half into the second half you know, after the way the first half ended was just really fucking hard to swallow. Like, it's not like they broke us down and, like, created a really good opportunity. They just, you know, he's a guy who, like, hits shots like that all the time and they never go in because they're stupid shots. And it's, like, the biggest criticism of the game is, like, stop taking those low percentage chances. And, of course, you know, his number comes up today. What are you going to do? I mean, it was a beautiful goal. Uh, it was know. beautiful. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing even Hugo could have done it. I mean, Hugo didn't move, but if he did, there wasn't a whole lot he could do about it. So, yeah, yeah I mean, when he hit it, I was like, ah, shit. Uh, it just, uh, I mean, that's exactly what he did at Ajax. And, uh, but it's just, yeah, it's just, like I said, it's this, like, yeah, Chelsea are better than us, but there's just this, like, level of, like, luck they have, too, against us. It's so infuriating it's infuriating to watch because like you said but if they just it was just like lukaku cutting us open and i know they got like they created those chances but if that's how they score their goals like i could almost live with it a little bit easier than just like you know the the, the sort of bullshit way they got on the score scoreboard it's it's right and from a guy who like should have been at the african cup of nations with his national team but happened to have had a falling out with his manager, so he gets to still be there for Chelsea to score a fucking sick goal against us. It's just like every little bit of fate 
winds up <laughs> to screw us. I think the part that, that gets me the most is that Kovacic is so good. Um, and, like, you know, we spent, like, he could have been a Spurs player, maybe. And, you know, there were those years where he was kind of in the wilderness and was like, oh, maybe he's not good enough for Chelsea. Mm-hmm. And turns out, like, as everybody suspected, he was actually a really great all-around midfielder that does all of the things and, like, makes the team tick. And, like, it felt like every sort of time Spurs got an attack that Kovacic was either near where the breakup happened and then starting the break or he broke it up himself. And it's just like, you know, they passed circles around us with their midfield mountain. Kovacic did everything. Like it was just, I think that's the, the frustrating thing about playing Chelsea is just like matching up against them. Man for man is just like incredibly demoralizing in a way that like, uh, playing against other opponents isn't like there's better than us they have more money than us they they like everybody you look at in that team you're like oh, i i think i'd probably rather have them than you know the, their opposite number on on the other side other than you know like kane i guess um but uh, like even and it's not like we who's far off yeah exactly well these days um, i mean <laughs> you know I mean, it's, it's just both kind of far yeah off, that's right? fair that's fair I mean, I guess, I guess the one exception is our uh, Keppa versus Lloris. Um Yeah, that's but, And even Keppa, like, I feel like I haven't watched Keppa pull out a good save in, like, three years. Of course, like, one or two good chances that we do produce, he's he's there to stop them. Like, Yeah. I mean, you know, I, don't, I guess the one, one performance that I was really disappointed in from Spurs in this match was Tanganga, who just like variations on the theme of kind of what we've seen from him this year, like overly aggressive defending, uh, poor decision-making, not being able to deal with wingers that are faster than him. And then, so just making either dirty or dumb fouls. And it's just like, I don't need to see him as a fullback anymore. Um, I'm not even sure I want to see him as a as a as a wide center back. Uh, I just he, I just don't think he's at this level. He's Maybe not. he will get yeah. there. And you but... know, speaking of both Tanganga and the idea of halftime subs, it was like he got a cheap yellow card early on and was getting cooked all game. And so when CS did score, like even though like his goal was ridiculous in the build up to that goal he was once again getting burned down the flank and, like, not able to put in a challenge because he's on a yellow and, like, might get sent off. And, like, how Conte didn't realize that that was going to be a liability and yank him at halftime, I don't know. Like, he didn't last, you know, but 10 minutes more. So, like, what was the point? Uh, It's very frustrating. Another thing is... I agree. If if Milan wants him, see it, Jaffa. Uh, another thing that this game sort of highlighted for me is like how we need Sorry, to... Sorry, f- Brian. <laughs> Definitely not muted again. <laughs> we need to... Uh, I think we need to... Like, we do need to address our wingback situation because you pull Regulon out of the team and, like, we definitely look less than. And then we have to stick Doherty out there, too, which is, like, you know, again, not maybe the disaster that it has been, but certainly... I mean, it's not good. So, like... You know, I mean, bringing a guy like Triore and like, I, I get why we, we are looking to mix that up because we need, 
we need, if we're not going to have those kind of passers, if we're going to sort of work on the Conte patterns and we need those, we need that wide sort of attack. And I get why we're prioritizing that because, I mean, this match just showed what we can't do without it. I mean, I'm happy to give Sessegnon a pass in this I'm, I'm match. Sessegnon still looks like he's knocking off the rust. I'm not, it, I'm not negative on Sessegnon when I say that, but it's... Doherty yeah, in I mean, particular was not. Felt, he was pretty anonymous in this match. Like he, he wasn't. He, he wasn't Regulon. Like how good Regulon's been in the last couple matches. Like so. I, but again, you know, he's not. He wasn't really playing a wing back. He was playing like a wide midfielder in a four four two. I guess. Like I, it's. I mean, so. I, I again, I, I'm happy to give him a pass in this match. Um he was basically a non-entity, but I don't think he was a negative in the same way that, like, Tanganga was or I mean, Sanchez. He was, he was bad. Like, he had four complete passes from eight attempts. Like, that's not that's not a useful performance. I think even, uh, if, he, even if you give him a pass for it, it's not what Regulon's been giving us when he's been fit and healthy. Like, Right. Like, I mean, as a backup, like, there's still room to believe in something, but, like... Yeah, our squad is thin, and but I'm even fine like muddling through the rest of the season with a thin squad. Like, I mean, we need to reinforce it, and we're going to get to that in a second. But like, I'm fine muddling through the rest of the year. But long term, like this summer, we need to like fill this thing out. So like, when Regulon, because right now it feels like we just look like a different team when Regulon's in there, and I mean, we need to get to the point where we can afford to rest some of these guys and still look good. And again, it's Chelsea. We might be able to muddle through with a lineup like this against another team, but, you know, we still need to fill the squad out. So, do, do we have any other thoughts about Chelsea before we get into our transfer business? Really don't like them. I mean, they're yeah, awful I mean, and, yeah, should be relegated or something, but yes. I mean, I guess I thought Hoiberg was pretty good again. You know, it's like, it's a it's a tough midfield matchup. Even but, then, like he just let us down on so many final balls, which I know is maybe not what we should be asking from him, but it's it sort of underlines another area I think we need to improve on. Yeah, I mean, you know, you see their midfield of Jorginho, Kovacic, and Mount, and we have Harry Winks and Hoybjerg. It's like, well, that's tough. <laughs> you know, we have Doherty playing as sort of like a, a pseudo-auxiliary center mid out of possession. Um you know, it's like, I think the weirdest thing is, is like, there was a clear tactical plan here. Like, the players looked organized. They just looked not good enough. And, like, that's the frustrating part. And, like, on the one hand, I guess I'm glad to see Conte able to give them a blueprint for how to go out there and, like, make a game of it. But on the same time, I think, and Conte is probably just as frustrated with this as, you know, just looking at these 11 guys and saying... We need more, and we need better. This is—I think this is part of what we wanted with Conte. Like we're, we're, like we are separating the wheat from the chaff, fellas. Like this is what we kind of wanted for the last two years. I think we were hoping for some different answers than we're getting, but like, I think we wanted to know: like, is this bad coaching, or is this, you know, are these players just shitty or not good enough? And we're getting those answers right now on on a lot of these players. So, surprise, surprise! The answer is not bad coaching. <laughs> In not this for case, most of anyway. them. It may, it may have previously been bad coaching, but it's not currently. 
So let's let's talk transfer stuff. I don't believe, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think we talked Hugo Lloris last week, so I want to start there. Uh, we extended Hugo Lloris for another two and a half years. I'm very happy about this. Uh, I know that most Spurs fans have come around on Hugo. I've always thought that Spurs fans are a little harsh on Hugo when he has a bad game. Like, I think he's been an excellent keeper for us, and I, I don't think there's been a huge decline as he's gotten older. I mean, I understand with an older keeper, you're always sort of playing a little bit of chicken with his when's his cliff going to get there. But, you know, Hugo's been so good for us. He's been so steady. We've seen how bad Galini is. We've seen how much work we have to do on the rest of the squad. We know he's, like, one of the more stable clubhouse influences. I just, like, playing games with him, with, with our keeper position right now, just doesn't make any sense. We have so much work to do on the squad. We know Hugo Lloris is probably going to be, like, an elite keeper for at least another season. And we know he's not an asshole in the clubhouse, and he's probably someone that Conte can rely on. So I, I just thought this was a no-brainer, and I'm very ha- I'm very glad it happened. And Hugo's, I've talked about this before and other guys, like, Hugo's one of those players that I'm very happy is going to be, like, associated with Tottenham, like, for the rest. Like, that's going to be his team for the re- I mean, maybe the French national team, too, but, like, Tottenham is a team that Hugo Lloris will always sort of will be the first team he's associated with for the rest of his life, and that makes me very happy. I mean, if he fills out this contract, I don't even know if he fills out the contract. Is it next year that he gets he would get a um, he would get a, uh, a what do you call? It? I'm blanking on the name of the game. Testimony. Yes, thank you, Ben. Yeah, is is that next year or yes, is it, does he, he have to fill he out be the here two? Ten years this summer. This summer, yeah, no. ten years this summer. That makes so, me really happy. If we still he, do testimonials. Like, yes, he would get one. I mean, he'll get one at the end of his career, but like, and he should because Hugo's been an incredible servant to the club. We got very lucky that we bought him when we did, and we're I think we're still incredibly lucky to have him. And I think Galini, like whatever we think about the process that led it to him, I think that demonstrates how hard it is at our level to find a good keeper. And I think, I think too many Spurs fans have been, you know, like. I just think it is very hard to find a good keeper, and I think we're incredibly lucky to have Hugo. And if he's here for another two and a half years, like I, it wouldn't bother me in the slightest. I think. Go ahead, Brian. I was just gonna say I I agree. I think you know his cliff because he is such a a good shot stopper and it, he works so much off of reactions. I think his cliff is gonna come quick, but I don't know that it's gonna come in the next year. And if you've got a two-year, you know, two-year contract after this season, basically with him, then it gives you more time to succession plan. Um, and and I think he's he's certainly going to be fine for next season, you know, because he's he's going to be the French national team goalkeeper in the World Cup in December. Um, you know, like I, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't try to keep him around. I guess what I'd say that's like worrisome to me about this is even though I love Hugo and I think he has proven all of his detractors wrong, I count myself among them a few years ago, um, it's not a great situation to be in to count on a 35-year-old goalkeeper and hope that that cliff doesn't come anytime soon. Like The fact that we've done such a bad job elsewhere has meant for the last several years clinging desperately to the guys we do have who we know who works like Kane, like son, like Hugo, you know, we, we haven't done the thing all along that we've talked about endlessly on this podcast, which is sell guys when they still have some value in and like bring in new players to refresh the squad. And we're in a position with the rest of the team that like, yeah, Hugo's good enough that you don't want to fuck around on that. Lock that down. That's one less thing to worry about. 
but it is a thing we're going to have to worry about in a year and two years. And, you know, I'd have liked that instead of signing Joe Hart, instead of signing Golini, we had brought in somebody who maybe could, you know, eventually take over for that. So that's, that transition is a little more seamless, but like, we're not capable of like even confronting that problem right now. I think, I think, teams little, I think a few teams are to be fair. I mean, West Ham grabbed Ariola from PSG last summer and Fabianski is still their number one, but like they have a guy who is a proven good Premier League goalkeeper waiting in the wings for Fabianski to head off into the sunset. Like, which will never happen because Fabianski will be like, being Fabianski will be a Premier League goalkeeper when my son is doing the Spurs podcast. Like, I mean, maybe, I mean that guy's never going to go away. <laughs> like, I'm just saying, it's like I would, I would like to not be in the situation where we are, where we're feeling great about locking down a 35. I, I do feel good about it, but I don't think it speaks well of like the overall squad health, which I, I think, think we know is a problem. I, I, I think it. The, the Golini is the one that I am critical of how this club approached it because I don't think especially for a keeper of Hugo's quality, I have less issue. I, I don't think that's a position that we should have been like trying to sell on. Like it doesn't bother me that we weren't trying to make a profit on our keeper given like the sort of age profiles involved and in how Hugo has played. And, you know, frankly, like, I don't know, maybe Hugo has been around for it. But, like he seems to be like one of the few grown ups in the room on this team. Like I do think, I think if you were between the lines, I think Hugo's sort of like opinion on Spurs is a lot closer to Harry Kane's than, you know, a lot of us would be comfortable recognizing. But I think Hugo's a lot more of a professional about it than Kane. And he isn't going to, you know, embarrass himself over the fact that like we're hiring Nuno and he doesn't want to play for Nuno. Because I think, you know, the, the speed from which it was like he's not going to sign an extension to, yeah, I'll stick around for another two years now that we've got Conte it was, was remarkable. Uh, I just, I don't know. There's like a level at which I, yes, Ben, you're right. We need to like start planning for this. And I think you read some of the quotes from Hugo in his renewal videos or whatever. Like, and I think you could tell that section plans are somewhere in our brains right now. But I don't know. Like, I'm fine taking a bet on Hugo for another year or two, just given everything that's going on. And keepers are a little totally. different. And like, like, and he's a leader in the clubhouse. Like, he's such a good presence. Like, you want him around, whether he's your number one or not. And I think, yeah, I'm not mad about having him. But I'm now's not, the time to start. Now him. is the time to start thinking about what comes next. Like, we've already been linked to. I think like, I don't know how serious it is, but we they've talked about buying the keeper from Accrington Stanley. And making him like, like this, I mean, again, I think this was like a Toby Saban. Yeah, I think this was like a daily, this was like a Daily Mail article. So I don't know how seriously to take it, but like as an ex- as a succession plan, I'm all in favor of English backups just for the homegrown rule. But yeah, if there's anyone who's going to be a successful keeper, it's Tony Saban. So, I mean, I think it's an interesting criticism to say that we, you know, we failed at succession planning when we ha- previously had two guys at the club in Paulo Lopez and Paulo Gazaniga, who probably are Premier League goalkeepers. Mm, um, not at our you level. Gazaniga is, you know, playing in the championship. Uh, Paulo Lopez has been at Roma and at Marseille the last couple of years and is fine. He's pretty, been pretty yeah, good at Marseille this not, year. He's not. I mean, I just think... Is you that Mason and Greg, or are you just being salty? No, I'm 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 not being salty. I've like I got unlike everyone else on this podcast, I watched that loser live, 
since he left Spurs, and he's not good. Um, now, I think what Brian makes a good point about is we have had two first division keepers as our backups over the last few years. Um, but I don't know if either of those guys was I, – I wouldn't want either of them between the sticks for us on a regular basis. Sure. But, but so I do agree with Ben that, like, you know, ultimately we do need to start thinking about this. And, you know, the fact that – you know, we weren't in for Andre Onana or, you know, that we, we haven't really even been credibly linked with any goalkeepers of any sort of caliber in a while is concerning. That would have bothered me right. before Galini. Like, Galini is where I'm like, what were we thinking? Like, that's where clearly whatever the club says, that was a succession plan. Or at least at a minimum, that was a he could be our starter next year plan, which is like... Even if he wasn't a long-term play, that's still concerning because that guy sucks. I mean, maybe he's better if he's, like, actually playing every week. I don't know. But he does not look good. <laughs> and, I mean, maybe the problem is is that the level of player you want is not a player that's going to come in and play second fiddle to Hugo Lloris. And then so, you know, you're stuck in a situation where um, you have to basically wait out Hugo. Like, you either have to wait for the cliff to come and then sign somebody or you have to wait for him to say, uh, you know, I'm done, like, like send me out the door or, or I'm going to retire and, and then sign somebody like, you know, I, I, just spitballing names. You know, the keeper at uh, uh, at Brighton, uh, what's his name, Sanchez, um, uh, the keeper at Leeds, uh, Melier, like, you know, guys like that, are they going to want to leave uh, playing a decent level in the Premier League? to Spurs and be the cup keeper for a season and a half or two seasons? Like, no, I don't think they are. Probably. You throw enough money at them. Maybe. But I think I think ultimately your solution is, you know, um, you, you bounce. Hugo leaves, whether it's, you know, by transfer, by retirement, by end of contract, and then you just, you know, spend your money on whoever your guy is, whoever the good goalkeeper is. Like, you know, like Liverpool did with Allison, like like City did with Ederson. Um, you just do it and hope you don't wind up with a Keppa. Right. And, you know, I, the reality is, is right now we have bigger fish to fry. And so we bought ourselves, hopefully, another two and a half years of good Hugo. So we Probably less than that. But, but, yeah, right. exactly. We've kicked do this can down the road. <laughs> like, Yeah. Do everything else, and then we can sort out Keeper later. And hopefully Hugo doesn't just fall to pieces next year. And the way he's playing this year doesn't seem likely. But he's stalled. Yeah, but so again, what else are we doing, Greg? Yeah, so the big news is today, uh, and it's funny because Ben was uh, really going off on rants this morning in our writers' room, complaining about our lack of activity and how the only thing we've been looking at was a single player. And then today, about it felt like fifteen different stories broke. But the most important one was we are apparently in for Porto's left winger Luis Diaz, who is unbeknownst to me before today, highly coveted young attacker in Europe. Uh, the reports are we are recording this on Tuesday night at 10 p.m. in America, just to timestamp this for anyone in case this changes rapidly. The reports are the Spurs only want to spend about $40 million plus add-ons. They want, to sp- they want us to do $60 million up front. Various reporters are reporting various levels of how inevitable this is. It seems like there's definitely smoke with this fire, so we're going to talk about it. I'll confess, I didn't know anything about Luis Diaz before today, but when you go and dig around, 
enough people who are Portuguese watchers or Porto watchers have been saying good things about this kid for the last few years. He's a 25-year-old winger. He, he's from plays for the Colombian national team and does that make him a kid is he 20 at 25 are you a kid for me for me yes um but yeah I don't know like he's he's a good young attacking talent I think what would make me nervous about the price tag is that you know like jumping from the Portuguese league to the Premier League is a big jump but he's got decent he's got decent Champions League numbers and you know, I mean, he had a really good Copa America last year. I think he was joint um, top scorer. I don't know. It's certainly an ambitious attempt to sign someone from Spurs. I'm not entirely sure how he fits into our roster, but I mean, Brian, just, I mean, coming on, how do you feel about this? I mean, Spurs love to sign a winger we don't fucking need. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, I mean, you know, look, I guess. I'm I'm in the same boat as you. I am not a Porto watcher. I I think I probably watched him play in the Copa over the summer, but couldn't tell you anything about him. Um, I I do find it a little odd that he is starting to really pop at you know 24, 25. Like that's when his jump is happening. Um, and and the the price tag is a lot for a guy that has basically one good season under his belt um, in a top flight European league and playing for Porto where maybe the competition um, that he's playing against on a regular basis isn't great. I just, you know, if this was a, a 20 or $25 million purchase or million pound purchase, I'm a little more okay with it. If he was, 20, 21, 22, I'm a little more okay with it, but like, to be fair, it does seem like there's other interest, and it. I'm reading between the lines here. It seems like Spurs have stolen a march a little bit in terms of we have a bit of an inside line here that he was available for sale. I mean, my, my understanding is that Porto's finances are pretty screwed right now, and but it does seem like we're getting in there before other teams. I don't think we're the only team interested in him, but I don't know. It's 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 intriguing. The money, like you said, Brian, I think the money does put me off a little bit, considering his age profile and whatever. But he's not past the point where it's understandable that you know this is the year he blew up. I think. I mean, it's it's towards the end of that time frame. I, I I'll grant you, but I mean, the thing is, if you had forty million, which is allegedly what Spurs want to pay, if you have forty million to drop euros, to be clear, so like really, okay. we're talking thirty something million pounds. But if, if you have that to drop on a winger we don't need, surely that money is also available to drop on a fullback, center back, central midfielder, or striker that we do need. But they might not be available. I mean, I mean to play. De- I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate. Like, I mean, no, we're, already I, I, I for, we're already in for a right wing back. So, like, assuming that we're not drawing from the same pool of money there, like a right wing back that's not necessarily a right okay, wing back. My point is, I understand your point. Yeah. Um, I mean. Because I don't know that I would say we don't need another attacking player. You know, right now it's like we have Kane and Son, and they are 29 and 28 years old. And then we have Bergvine and Lucas. Lucas is also 29, and Bergvine has had 15 minutes of good performances in recent memory. Um, you know, like our, our attack is fairly thin. And I think as much as we've liked what the 3-5-2 has looked like under Conte, 
he seems like he would rather play a 3-4-3. And so getting that third attacker is, you know, going to help. If Diaz comes in and is similarly good, you know, as like a double digit goal scorer and you have a front three of him, Son and Kane, you know, that's like a very dangerous front three. That's something we don't have. We have Lucas Mora, you know, doing his best scoring two goals this season. Um, you know, you look at teams like Liverpool and Chelsea and well, not Chelsea. They don't really seem to score any goals from their front line, but you know, you want to have that, that core of, of good attackers, you know, like we did in our, in our desk years. Um, so I don't know if Diaz could be that guy. I don't know if he's good enough to be that guy, but like, it's not, not a position of need. And I think, you know, you want a backup striker because Kane has never had a backup striker in five years. That's worth a shit. But like, if, we have to play, you know, Sun or Lucas up top or Bergvine up top. As long as the goals are coming from somewhere, you know, it doesn't really matter if they're coming from your striker. I mean, Liverpool won the league with Roberto Firmino up top, and he doesn't do fucking anything in front of goal, you know, because Salah and Mane are lights out. And so, you know, it's it's workable if he's good. And well, I think that's someone, just the big so, question is, is how good is he? Someone in our writers room prepared it. And I wish I could credit who it was, but like, if this is a good idea, so that's making some assumptions. This is like Liverpool buying Jota, which is like. That was me, I said that. Okay, well, <laughs> good work, Ben. But no, it would be like that, where it's like, you know, you look at Liverpool and you're like, I don't know if you need this player, but it worked out. Like, I mean, it's worked out really well. So, like you said, it's not that. But this is the thing with January. It's like, okay, do we. Is this like our position of most need right now? Like, I'd say probably not. But it's January, which is a hard month to buy, and I have no idea. Like, I can't think of a midfielder. I mean, okay, other than the guy we're probably going to buy, who we're going to talk about in a minute. Other than him and Kessie, who doesn't seem like he's coming here one way or the other, I can't think of another midfielder we've been linked to. And I don't think that's because we're not trying. I think that's because it's a weird month to buy people, where they're either like not being sold because teams don't want to retool if they don't have to in the middle of January, or that, you know, they're just too expensive. So, you know, it might be like, okay, we got like 50, 70 million pounds to spend. Like, we can get Triori and we can get him and let's do this. I don't know. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I think there's probably, if we're getting him this this in January, there's an element of like opportunity involved would be my guess. I don't know that. But that's just Right. And my, I think when yeah. you think of the January transfer window, you think of shoring up your squad for the second half of the season. But, like, it's also a time for long-term purchases and guys who, you know, can help you in the future. Like, we bought we bought Lucas in January, um, you know, and I don't know that he was an immediate need. I don't think he even played very much that first six months. Um, but, you know, he was a guy who was, you know, he was similarly, like, 26 years old who had a decent pedigree, and we thought, well, fuck, this is an opportunity. He's pretty cheap, you know. Again different because Lucas had been playing at PSG a lot more than you know 
having one good season. And he he was uh, a he was like the next Brazilian great at one point in his career too. So I mean his pedigree I think Lucas's pedigree was certainly higher than this kid. Yeah, but Diaz is like right now this season is hailed as like the best attacking player in Portugal. And I don't know what that means in like the grand scheme of like player comparisons, but like Lucas hadn't been the best player at anywhere in a really long time. So, you know, if you're getting like the next Hulk or the next James Rodriguez, like great. Like even, you know, even though he hasn't done it in a big league, like it might be great. It's just at this point, I think it's a matter of how good is our scouting here? And do we actually believe that this guy has the skills to translate? And is this one year an aberration or is this, you know, the leap? I mean, we spent 25 million pounds on Brian Heal, who is yes, much younger, but has done nothing in his time other than like kind of dribble excitedly. And I think, you know, he has a cool mustache. Yeah. Terrible mustache. Uh, But like, I think, you know, you kind of like look at Diaz and say, he is what we hoped Brian Heal would evolve into is a guy who starts with this, like, you know, good dribbly winger skill set that then marries that with goals and, and production. And, you know, this is what Diaz has done, you know, late, later than you want. But at now at 25 is finally, he scored 14 goals this year is, is adding that level of production. And whether that's a fluke, I don't know, or whether that's like, he's made the leap. And as now that he's entering, you know, his kind of peak years as a player, um, is ready to be a guy who scores double digit goals, you know, the rest of his career. I, I mean, I don't trust our scouting that much, honestly, but like, they're the ones doing the shopping, so like I don't know who who else is scouting I can substitute for. I think yeah. I, I, I think, think what's encouraging problem. to me is and Ben, you can maybe talk a little bit more about this, but like all the people online who like follow the Portuguese league or Colombian players seem to be extremely high on this guy and their opinions seem to like at least for the last two years have all been very extremely high on this kid. You know, it doesn't seem like it's sort of like people are seeing this today and being like, oh, yeah, he's pretty good. You should get him. Like, I mean, this seems like this kid's been held in relatively high regard for at least a while now. Right. He's no Jensen. <laughs> like, we'll get to that in know, a the second. Level, the yeah. level of esteem is different. But, I mean, our our big attacking signings have just not been great. Bergvein was great in the Netherlands. Hasn't really translated that here. Lucas has done, you know, we've talked about a decent job, but he's never really set the world on fire. Lamella I mean, he set the world on goals. fire that one time. So. Yeah, yeah, but over the course of the season, he's know, not I been know, like, I know, I know you know, Sun is the only guy who's like really blown up and like, you know, hit the stratosphere. You know, we've bought Lamella off a 15 goal season in Italy. Mm-hmm. He never replicated that. Like, I don't know. I just don't know, honestly, if this is the guy who is going to come here and maintain that form and be the guy. But if he is, that's something we could use, especially as Kane and Son get older. It would be nice to have somebody else picking up some of the goal-scoring load. Well, I think what's interesting about this signing, regardless of how well-scouted it is or how it turns out, is it does seem like we're swinging for the fences uh, in January, which is, I think, as of this morning, something that you thought wasn't going to happen then. Uh, you know, like this would be a big high profile signing for Spurs in a way that I, it did not seem like we were interested in doing before today. Yeah. 
I mean, I guess, I guess, I guess <laughs> the last thing I'll say is, is like in terms of his price tag for 38 million pounds, if he is a sun level replacement, that's a great amount of money to spend on that guy for probably another four years of, of peak performance. If he's a Lucas level player, that's like about what we paid for Lucas. And so like, that's a fine signing. He'll do a job, whatever. If it's a, Brian Hill level performance or Bergvine level performance, yeah, we fucked up. But it won't be the first time, it won't be the last time we fucked up on a signing like that. So um, if our scouts believe that, you know, he is more likely to do a son than to do a Lamello or a Bergvine or whoever, like, whatever. I'm just glad we're doing business. So I think. Go ahead, Brian. So. So just kind of to address the the point that you made there, Greg, is like, it's just very weird that we waited 25 days to do any of this. And and I mean, we talked before we got on the show that January is weird and, you know, maybe you're waiting for dominoes to fall. And in this window, you're you're worried about like international breaks and COVID cancellations and making sure you have cover here and there. But... You know, coming into this morning, or maybe I guess yesterday afternoon, to be fair, there'd been basically nothing going on and nothing other than Traore that looked even close to being able to get over the line. And then now today, a bunch of stuff pops up and it's just like, you know, Tottenham are very, very busy and are going to be over the next week. And it's just like, couldn't we have done any of this in the last three weeks? We've done a single thing like, you know, and I guess, look, the, the, the rumors are that the the Luis Diaz thing is pretty far along, that there was, you know, official bids and meetings in Portugal and whatever. But it's just like. Uh, why why are we doing this all at the end? Why why I, why now? Why on the twenty fifth are we like? Oh, we want Amrabat, we want Diaz, we want Traore, and maybe we can do Cassier, even though he's going to Barcelona, or maybe we can get this guy and that guy. And it's just like why? Where was this the last three weeks? The only thing I could say, if I was defending the club stance, it's like it seems like everybody does this, which tells me. I mean, maybe everybody's just engaged in bad practices, which is entirely possible, and I'm sure on some level true. But I think there must be reasons that, like, and I don't know if it's just because it takes time to lay track for this stuff. Like you said, Brian, like, I'm sure that we didn't just talk to Porto last week. I mean, maybe we did. Maybe someone told us, like, you should go talk to Porto. They're broke as shit, and, like, you might be able to peel some of their better players off of them. My suspicion is that conversation happened a few weeks ago, a few weeks earlier, and now it's metastasized to the point that people are comfortable reporting on it. And maybe there's like 15 different conversations like this that never got as far. I don't know. But the point is, every transfer window in January, it seems like there's one or two really early signings, and then one or two middle-of-the-month signings, and then everybody gets their business done at the end of the window. I'm sure some of this is people dragging their feet to get the most they can out of these players. I'm sure some of it is clubs just aren't as prepared as they ought to be. But my suspicion is there's just a level of like, it builds this way for reasons that are just true for almost everybody. Uh, I know that like Alistair gold has been talking about why haven't we moved forward on Triore? I don't know. I don't know if like we're haggling to get the price down. I don't know if it's, we're, you know, all of a sudden we can buy, you know, this player from Porto. So we're, 
reallocating our funding. I just, it, it, so many teams do this that there's, I, I, I'm like, to me, it seems like there must be a good reason for it, or at least a reason that applies to everybody for it, even if it's dumb. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, you know, a level of desperation involved in January transfers where everybody's, like, got positions of need. You're kicking tires all around Europe, and teams who are maybe not dying to sell a player are would consider selling a player. But, like, once that consideration pops into their head, they need to figure out how they're going to manage that. And, like, do they need to buy somebody else? And so then they got to kick tires. It's like a lot of pieces have to line up. And a lot of clubs all around the continent and like, you know, a real web of, of dominoes have to fall. Like you said, Brian, that, you know, I, I think it's just it's a hard time to do business because nobody wants to lose somebody who's good in the middle of their season. And if they're going to, they want to make sure they can replace them or that losing them isn't going to be a, a disaster, um, you know, or, you know, for our outgoings, like they need to sell somebody. Um, before they're capable of buying them. You know, we've seen the rumors within Dombele and PSG, and PSG is saying, well, we, they, we need to, sh- you know, shed some midfielders before we can bring in a new midfielder. And, you know, Ajax had to sell Neres before they were prepared to make a bid for Bergvine. And, like, there's just a lot, lot going on in a very short amount of time where everybody's a little desperate. And, uh, yeah, it's just a shitty time to do business. So, but, yeah. go ahead, Ben, sorry. It's January 25th. Sign somebody. Yeah, so the other transfer that looks like it's definitely happening is Adama Traore, who it, everyone's reporting, at least as of now, that this everyone's confident this will get done. I think Traore was saying goodbye to Wolves fans and players on during their match this past weekend. I, I'm very, like, with all these transfers, my opinion is very different than it usually is because I'm very much at the point where Conte gets what Conte wants, or at least what Conte's okay with. Uh, you know, if Conte thinks he can turn him into a into a wing back, then you know, God bless. I'm willing to try it out. I mean, I, I was listening to some podcast this week that was talking about you know, like Chelsea looked pretty comfortable against us. Like, say whatever else you want about Triore, but like he might have made them very like he might have forced Chelsea to do some things they didn't want to do. You know, even if maybe he can't finish off a cross or take on a man, but like, you know, he would have at least made them uncomfortable. I don't know if 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 Conte wants these players, I am fine with it. It's but it's, you know, I mean, Triore is not a great. I, I don't know. It's like if it was anyone other than Conte, I'd be much more pessimistic about this transfer than I am. But I think we talked about Conte, you know, kind of last. Or I'm sorry about Triore on the last show, and. Um, he he's going to do interesting stuff and he's going to be a threat. And if you're going to tell me that uh, he can at the very least get into the box and, and deliver either a cutback or make a play that Conte has scripted, like whether that's a cutback to the 12 uh, across to the far post or across near post, I'm fairly confident that as a good professional football player who has excellent dribbling skills, he's capable of getting in that position and sometimes doing that. Um, just having any threat on that right-hand flank would be good. And he's an upgrade over over Royale and Doherty in terms of what he is willing able to do on the ball. 
I don't know that he's. I'm. I am 100% confident he's not as good a defender as Royale. Um, I, I'm confident that he probably doesn't add much to us in the defensive phase of the game. But uh, he, gosh, every time he gets on the ball, he it might get frustrating at the end. But it's going to be fun for a little while. I think even like leaving aside his individual qualities, you know, we just desperately need that balance on the right hand side. Um, it makes it very easy to defend when Regulon is our only outlet and you have Royale out there trying his damnedest, um, you know, and like teams give him the space to get on the ball. And I think if you have two guys out there doing that thing, um, you know, providing an outlet up the pitch, dribbling down the flank, it just makes our attack more dynamic. And even if Adama is not the best solution for that role in world football, even if he is not, going to like rack up a bunch of assists with you know beautiful crosses uh he's just going to make us harder as a team to defend and i think conte's whole thing is the system of play as a team and having a guy out there who can do anything uh is, is going to be big so not the only guy who looks like he's an imminent transfer into spurs we also have i'm gonna put myself out on here guys sofian Am- amrabat sofian amrabat uh, who is a midfielder at Fiorentina, who is a weird choice. I think this is sort of Gedson plus in that he is make weight. I think we're shipping out so many midfielders, or at least we're refusing to play so many midfielders. We need another midfielder. But we're bringing in a guy to sort of be a body. Rumors are that we're talking about like low teens for a transfer fee if we want to keep him, but it'll be a loan. I mean... I can't pretend I've ever heard of this guy or seen him play. Uh, apparently, he was well-rated on the the Hellas Verona football terrorist team from 2019 to 2020. Uh, but I, I don't know much about him. It seems like, again, everyone seems to be on the same page. This guy is make-weight, and we'll buy him if he's good for us. But I don't know. Like Again, that was the thing I was about, about Gedson that I was always fine with, was he was like a very low cost like band-aid we could put on a problem that we could get rid of very easily. It seems like he is a better version of that. I mean, you hope, you know, Jensen was a guy who had some upside because his, you know, he was a hot prospect who just sort of fizzled out. And, you know, there was some hope that like he might rediscover some of that. And instead he looked like he was not capable of being a professional athlete. But to be fair, um, this guy has like played well in a major European league before, which you cannot say about him, about, about right. Jensen. So yeah, he had apparently a good season with Hellas Verona and a good season with Fiorentina. And this season has barely played, um, which to me is a big red flag. Uh, it, but it is, but it's worth considering players, that Fiorentina is, charitably called a hot mess so yeah and i mean i think we have some good players who have barely played and so (laughs) doesn't necessarily mean anything you know i think sometimes you know you put los elso or indomble somewhere else they could very well kill it you bring a guy like amrabat who's had a rough year if you're on here maybe he's really good that said the numbers on him are pretty good midfield dribbler pretty good long passer no contribution in the in the box whatsoever. Not like a high volume midfield controller. Not particularly good defensively. I don't. I don't it know. Seems Brian, like can, do you know anything it about? Seems him? like he can ping long passes. It's, it, 
I guess. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I have no takes about him other than that if that's the name we're at on the list that's worrying. Like, presumably if we're doing priorities and hierarchies of midfielders that we are interested in, he's probably not in the top five guys. I, again, don't don't know that I've ever seen him play. Definitely didn't watch him for Verona. Maybe inadvertently saw him for Fiorentina, but it obviously didn't like stick with me. I have no takes about whether he is good, bad, or otherwise. He might come here and be amazing. Who knows? Um, but... I think what this tells you is there's no midfielders worth a damn that we are capable of buying right now for whatever reason. Right. I mean, talking about, you know, what we've been talking about is like we've probably kicked the tires on a bunch of midfielders that went nowhere. And so now we're at the point of being like, hey, this is a guy who is nominally a midfielder and he isn't playing for Fiorentina. They'd probably let him go. What's that deal look like? And that's yeah. where we are. And so I mean, why... it, it seems that way kind of across football where, you know, there, there's talk, you know, uh, and, and I'm sure we'll come on to this with with goings but you know with uh Tongi and Dombele potentially going to PSG but PSG needing to unload some of their midfielders to to in order to be able to make that happen and you know nobody wants kind of Julian Draxler and Georgie uh Jorginho and all them and you know any sort of the other make weight midfielders they might have to get rid of and it doesn't seem like we want any of those guys either. And it's just like, so so obviously it's a weird time in the market right now. But I, I don't know. I just, it feels like there should be something else there. Well, and I like, think, yeah, if this is a loan, if this is a loan with an option to buy, then okay, what's the harm in it? You know, if it's if it's a loan with a requirement to buy or if it's an outright buy, I think it's weird. But, you know, get him in. Maybe he plays a handful of times. Maybe he plays more. Maybe he's really amazing. And and then you buy him and you're locked in on the price. And if he sucks, you send him back. Like, I, I guess what's the risk reward in this? I don't know. We need a body. We're not getting anybody better. So here we are. Well, that's the problem. That... You look at our outgoings, and it seems like Spurs are committed to trying to move Deli Alley, Tangi and Dombele, Giovanni Celso, Tanganga, Roden, and Doherty. And there's three midfielders in there. So, like, all of a sudden, even though I think Skip and Winks and Hoybjerg have all been respectable to good under Conte. Like, that gets real thin real fast if you have any injury issues, which, like, you know, we certainly did this week. So, you need another body in there, I feel like. And it seems like this, he's, the guy, he's the guy, so. Well, and the thing that I, I think makes the most sense and is to bring Saar back from loan on Mets. And, again, I don't know if that's possible. I don't even know if loans to international teams can be terminated like that. I don't know that that's how our loan with Mets is set up. Maybe it's not. Maybe he has to stay there. But, like, I think if you're going to take half a season for a guy that might play, it's maybe worth more to take half a season from a guy that you know you're going to have long term, that he comes in, 
gets to work with Conte for the rest of the half season, even if his minutes are going to be less than that, what they would be in Ligue 1 with, with Mets, him just being at the club and maybe playing, you know, uh, here and there, I think would be more beneficial. Yeah, it's hard to say with a guy like Saar what at this stage in his very young career is like the optimal development curve and like getting regular minutes at Mets is not a bad thing. Right. I, I, I have no idea if him playing for Conte is, you know, sporadically is going to be the best use of him or how ready he is for the Premier League. I don't, I don't really know. And I kind of have to trust Conte's call on that because if it I is guess an we option, don't even know if Conte wants him. Right. <laughs> I mean, right. But it surely, if it isn't an option, it's something that they've talked about and they've decided not to do. So, you know, I hate to be all in Conte we trust, but I mean, I, that's kind of where we are. Um, I guess the other piece of this that just came out, um, Fabrizio Romano tweeted that Spurs are waiting to complete the Ndombele deal before signing Amrabat. So once again, we're in the situation <laughs> where we have to wait for other dominoes to fall before any deal can get done. And the Ndombele deal now hinges on PSG doing their own business. And so we've got like five days left and hopefully everything lines up and we can get it done. But if not, we may be left just with nothing. Well, so Ndombele is headed to PSG, which is something we've known for a while. I think the, the real news on the outgoings in the last week has been Lo Celso is apparently a shithead that no one likes. And <laughs> Conte doesn't want him around here. And he doesn't want to be around Conte. And that just, like, escalated in a way I wasn't anticipating. I mean, it fits some of Conte's priors. If you go back and look at some of the players who have had a hard time adjusting to him. But we've also seen it leak through various sources that Conte, that, that Lo Celso is just kind of, like, not adapted well to Spurs. He's seen as kind of an odd figure who is not well-liked. I mean, I think you can sort of read between the lines with his Argentina um, duties and being like hurt all the time that like like I I think the fan base has certainly been frustrated with him I know I've defended him for that but it's like I don't know like we've talked about this a lot I don't want to get too far into it because I think we'll talk about this next week when hopefully they're off the team but there's a level at which I think Ndombele and Lo Celso have been very ill served by Spurs I think they came in here at a bad time I think we have had a series of issues and managers that have like not served both of them well, particular in Domble. But like there's a point at which you just get like whether it's you're fed up with the player for not making it work or you're just fed up with like hearing about it. Like I'm just tired of it. It's like it's been two and a half years and neither of these guys has been like for any extended period of time a productive player for Tottenham Hotspur. And I'm just tired of dealing with it at this point. And if Lucelso is like mad at Conte, which he certainly seemed to sort of shoot a broadside across the bow, telling everyone on Instagram that he was healthy and left out for the Derby right before the match. You know, it's like, okay, like fucking get out of here. Like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of over it. I loved Lo Celso at Betis. I, I, I've always thought he could be a great player at Spurs. It doesn't seem like that's going to happen. I'll bet. Um, you know, in fact, I bet on him before I bet on Ndombele being a success once he leaves Spurs. Uh, but I'm just sick of it at this point. Uh, I mean, I, and it's no one, it's not necessarily anyone's fault. I'm just tired of dealing with it. I'm tired of living with it. Like it's, it sucks that, you know, not only these guys that we spent so much money on didn't turn into anything, but like two guys who, you know, we 
I think most people say we did sort of, we did it right. We, we scouted, we found the right guys. We sort of handled the process in the right way, or at least it seemed like we did. And it just like both of them blew up in our face. And, you know, I think I could take it if like we assumed we could sort of deal with Ndombele's like personality and we couldn't, but like that both of them sort of turned into failures is really a hard pill to swallow. And at this point I just want to get it over with. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, for the last two years, we had these two players who we'd seen be good in flashes for Spurs and seen be good before they came to Spurs and two managers who we knew were terrible and seen be terrible at, at Spurs. And so, you know, for me, at least, it was very easy to back those players and say, I want them to get, get a shot. Fuck you, Jose Mourinho. You clearly don't know what you're doing. Um, but, you know, that's not the state we're in anymore. We're not in this like period of turmoil with a bad manager hoping, you know, some brilliant player who's been marginalized can come in and turn things around. It's like we have a stable system with a I mean, stable system with a coach who knows what he's doing clearly, who's gotten good results very quickly. And yeah, at some point you need to just say, well, this is, this is the next phase of Spurs, and if this is how Conte wants to handle it, then that's whose side you're going to have to be on. I mean, like when Pochettino came in, you know, Adebayor had had a very good season for Spurs. Aaron Lennon had been a great servant for a decade. Kabul had been very good. And he was like, you're not on board with what I'm trying to do. You got to go. And like, we sacrificed some of those guys. Um, You know, Adebayor was probably a little easier pill to swallow than Aaron Lennon. For most of us, but you're but you're you're exiling a guy with twenty guy. goals there, which you know, I mean, who could score twenty goals in a season? Like, I mean, that's not the easiest thing in the world to kick out of your team, right? To gamble on a youth player, um, you know. But you, at some point, you have to be confident that you have the right manager and who you are putting your faith in to turn the club around. And sometimes you got to throw out some guys you don't necessarily want to to make that work. And no one would argue that we didn't get better. Uh, after Pochettino got rid of the Kabul cabal, and you know, you know, and I, you know, we're in the same situation with guys who, frankly, have done a lot less for us than than Aaron Lennon and Adam or Eunice Kabul. I mean, Eunice Kabul scored yeah. one of the best goals in the history of our club. Like, yeah, I, I'm sure we'll talk about it in a post mortem, and it's going to be easier to talk about if they uh, if they do actually depart. Um, but I'm not even confident that either of them will actually leave. I think I think the the actual potential outs look like Deli Alley, and that's maybe. I'm pretty it. confident Dombley is going to leave. Like I, I think that'll happen by hook or by crook. I mean, I'm confident we want him to leave, but I'm not. Com- I mean, the, oh, the yeah, only, me too. <laughs> the only the only solid link seems to be PSG, and there seem to be plenty of reasons why that is. N- maybe not going to happen. You know, maybe everybody gets everything figured out in time on January 31st and, and and, and it works out, but LaCelso specifically seems like a player we're going to still have in this team in February. Um, I don't think we've seen anything in terms of tangible links. Sevilla. Sevilla is the only one. Yeah, and I mean he's away with Argentina right now, which makes completing uh, a, a move difficult. 
Um, not that it makes it impossible or anything, but uh, I just I don't know. Does does Sevilla have that much money? They just signed that's, Anthony Marsh. Exactly. They that's just, my. That, there's my skeptic. Putting even aside, like I don't know if there's any. I mean, if the bettest thing is any sort of difficulty, but I am skeptical. I mean, Sevilla is super cheap. I'm skeptical they have the money to like unless we're eating part of that salary. I'm skeptical they have that kind of money, especially because they just signed uh, Martial, who is you know, un- definitely not cheap. So uh, I don't know. I, that that seems like an unlikely match to me, and so um, I don't know. I, I Conte's comments after the match definitely concern me more about. Uh, La Celso than anything he has ever said about Ndombele. Um and I don't know. It, it's it's like Ben said. It's 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 unfortunate that we wound up in this position. Um, after all the 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 you know we we did all the homework. We signed you know arguably the two correct midfielders for what we needed. The players that everyone else in Europe. And then it's still somehow managed to blow up in our face because it's Spurs. So super happy that uh, maybe Amrabat will do the same thing. It'd be great, I'm sure. It's just, it's it. you know, we talked about this a lot. We're going to get answers on a lot of these players. And I think we're getting some answers we didn't want to get. Like, I think we were all hoping that he was going to make Ndombele and Lacelso work. And I think, especially Lacelso, I think we all thought would work. But, you know, it doesn't seem that way. I mean, it seems like both Lacelso and Conte really... I don't know, that escalated in a way that I don't think any of us were aware of before Sunday. But, you know, it's ugly and it sucks. And now we have to get players in. Because like you said, Ben, it's like, you know, you look at Conte's history and you look at what he's done since he's been here. And it's it's hard to, you know, it's hard to defend players who aren't going to get with that program at this point. Especially given what we've sort of lived through over the last two years. It's hard to defend anyone who's not going to get with that program. So we're going to see. There's a lot going on in the transfer market. I think it's more exciting that Spurs have been linked with, you know, a big name attacking player. But I think if the last couple of years have taught us anything, is like we need to get one of these big signings right, you know, or like we need it to go right for us. Because like, I'm not sure if you should play in the scouting team or if we just need luck to go our way. But I think it would make a huge difference if we sign this Diaz kid, and it turns out he's actually an excellent attacker. So here's hoping. Uh, yeah, so on that note, we've gone pretty long tonight, so I think it's time to wrap it up. We'll be back next Monday to talk about the transfer window. Ben, where can people find you online? Well, you can find me on Twitter at ComradeUspurs. Brian, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. You can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079. For Ben, for Brian, for Brett Rainbow, for Giovanna Celso and Tang- Tangi Ndombele, uh, I have been your host, Craig. Come on, you Spurs. <laughs>